Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to Justice, a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system. With me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. This week, I speak to Naomi Delap, director of Birth Companions and Sam, who is part of their lived experience team. Founded in 1996 to support pregnant women and new mothers in Holloway Prison, Birth Companions have become experts in meeting the needs of pregnant women and new mothers living in the most challenging situations in prisons and in the community. Hi, morning. I'm uh, Naomi Dilap, and I'm Birth Companions' director. Morning, guys. My name's Sam, and I work with Birth Companions as part of the lived experience team. Naomi, could you give us an idea of why Birth Companions was set up and what the need was for it in the first place? Of course. So back in 1996, uh, Channel 4 screened a documentary which featured some secret filming of a woman who was in custody at Holloway Prison, uh, was pregnant, had gone into labour, had been taken to the Whittington Hospital um, to give birth and uh, had been shackled to her bed um, during that process. Um, something which shouldn't have happened, wasn't supposed to happen. Um, it wasn't thought to, to be happening, but of course was happening. And this quite rightly caused, um, you know, a huge outcry um, and a lot of scrutiny um, of the conditions that pregnant women uh, and new mums were sort of kept in, in, in custody, in prison. And off the back of that, there was a group of uh, very committed antenatal teachers and midwives in North London who decided to come together and do something practical to help the women in Holloway Prison who were going through this really sort of challenging transition. Uh, it's challenging for, for most people, I think, but, um, you know, doubly, doubly challenging when you're in prison. So they came together um, to provide some practical support uh, for women. They started off by doing birth support in the hospital um, and then they sort of added bits on. So they um, they started doing antenatal classes and then working with mums on the mother and baby unit. Um, and it all went from there, really. OK. And then, Sam, how long have you worked at Birth Companions for? And can you give me an idea of what it is you do with the organisation? So I've been working with them for around five years. I first came into contact with them as I was seven. Well, I was on remand in prison and I joined the mother and baby classes that they provided. Um, when I was seven, my sentence, I had my son whilst I was in custody and then I moved to mother and baby unit and they continued to support me in the next prison that I went to. 
there was a lot of flaws in things that I was seeing that were going on. And um, I decided that when I came out, I was going to try and get in contact to see if there was anything I could do to help support the women and make some changes. So I reached out to them and then that's when I started working with the lived experience team. So Sam, can you tell me a little bit about the practical support that Birth Companions was able to offer you when you were inside? Yeah, to start with, I was a bit like, didn't want to engage with anyone, didn't want to talk to anyone, just want to keep myself to myself. And then two lovely ladies come round and knocked on the door to explain to me that they offer a support group for pregnant women. So I started attending that meeting. You know, it was nice to sit with the other pregnant women that were in the prison, have a chat, uh, have a cup of tea and a biscuit and just, you know, be able to talk about my pregnancy and then them be able to tell me the things that should be happening or, you know, the things that I should be getting as a pregnant woman, even down to things like, you know, two mattresses on the bed. I wasn't aware of any of that. So um, they really helped me in that aspect. And then they also was able to help me with, you know, things that should be happening, things that I should, like procedures and that to get certain stuff for my son. And then just the practical support of like having a chat or, you know, they would do things like weaning groups to help you. Because he was my first child as well. So I had like no idea what I was, what I was doing. I was winging it. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> so it was nice to like, you know, you can't always just ring, kind of always like ring up my mum and be like, oh, you know, mum, I don't know what I'm doing here. So it was nice for them to be able to come in once a week and be able to have someone to talk to in that aspect. You know, they've had children. They know what they're doing. They're trained. And, like, if you had literally had any questions, they were so lovely and you could go to them with anything. And it's like, they're not judgmental and you can't go, you know, you can't go to an officer and talk to an officer like that. They're not, they're, they're not interested. They're just there to do their job. OK. And do you mind me asking... I guess it's a personal question. Anything about pregnancy is sort of personal, really, isn't it? But what it was like for you going into prison pregnant and and if you could tell me a little bit about, because I think most of our listeners will have no idea, you know, when you go into labour in a prison, you know, where do you go? What happens? Do you go out to a hospital? I was six months pregnant when I was remanded into custody. I didn't really receive any information. I, I myself had no clue what was going to happen, what the procedure was. It wasn't until I entered and talking to the other women that I found out that there were mother and baby units. You could apply to go on them. Um, the process is very long-winded and no-one's in a rush to help you do anything. Obviously, it's a very frustrating and scary time because I don't know how long I'm going to be there I was reminded I wasn't sentenced I didn't know if I'd be able to keep my son with me um yeah there's very little information and even down to things like you know the the food that you receive and stuff like that I think everyone assumes as well like you get special treatment or stuff but you don't you treat it exactly the same as everyone else so the process is like you have to apply to sit a mother and baby board and then you sit that with, like, the, the prison that there has space for you to go to. Sorry, that's the decision-making process, is it, for um, working out whether you qualify 
to get a place on the mother and baby unit, which what not all women do, do they? No, because there's limited amount of space in the country, and that's that's the other thing with the with the process of doing it. You can sit aboard to be accepted, but you don't actually know what prison you'll be going to. So they could send you anywhere in the country that's got a space for you to go to. I was quite lucky because I did get one that's local. So you sit that and then you have to wait to find out your decision and stuff. Um, but the process is that, yeah, when you go into labour, you are taken to the hospital to have your baby. But that's the other reason why I got involved with birth companions as well, because... I actually went into labour early hours of the morning and pressed my call bell quite a few times. No one actually unlocked me until um, they unlocked all the rest of the people on the landing. So I I pressed it three times. Somebody told me someone was coming and I I wasn't actually let out of my cell until seven o'clock that morning. And I didn't actually get to the hospital until uh, around 10.30 by the time they'd called an ambulance and a nurse had come to take my blood pressure to confirm that I was in labour. Were you in um, a cell with anybody else? Yeah. And what were they sort of doing? Were they trying to help? I mean, it's very traumatic for you, but probably quite traumatic for them too. Yeah, I mean, that was my um, that was my thinking of... When you're pregnant, you do get the option to have a single cell. But I asked to be... I had made friends with a girl there. So I had asked to go in with her because my biggest fear was me going into labour and actually having the baby in the cell because obviously you're locked behind a door so you and with labours you you never know what's going to happen they could be quick they could be you know could be fast and I could have been there by myself with my baby yeah so you were fully having contractions by this point were you yeah okay so you finally get unlocked seven o'clock in the morning and then what they sort of say oh it's time to take you to hospital or no, then the procedure was you have to wait for the nurse to come, which obviously the nurse taking her time because it's unlocked time. She's doing meds. She's doing, you know, she's do, seeing other people and stuff. So she ended up eventually coming, I think it was probably around 9.30. And then they called an ambulance. Ambulance come, was cuffed to an officer, which I had previously been told that when you're in active labour, that you're not, I was told this by a governor, that when you're in active labour, you're not meant to be cuffed to an officer. When I did say to the officer, what, like, why are you putting the cuffs on me? I was told that when you're in labour, you, you're not cuffed. And her reply was, be grateful I'm putting you on the long cuffs. And the long cuffs are the ones that allow you to move a little bit. Yeah, they have like a longer chain between them rather than the shorter ones, which are like wrist to wrist. Okay, wow. And then you were put into a van or how were you transported? I was taken by ambulance. I was sitting in the ambulance with like inside the prison while they had to do the paperwork to actually allow me to leave the prison, obviously for security and stuff, which, you know, I would have thought them things would have been in place before. If you know you've got a heavily pregnant woman in your prison, got to the hospital, um, my son's father and my mum had already been previously security cleared to come to the birth. So my main thing was, obviously, I wanted them there. I needed some support. I was sat in a room with two officers, heavily having contractions, obviously screaming and crying with two people just just sitting there. Like, And then um, I begged them to, to contact them and let them know that I was in labour. 
Um, they didn't do that. They kept ringing the prison and the prison said that they wasn't allowed to let them know yet until I was a certain, a certain, like how far gone I was. So then I spoke to a doctor and the doctor actually spoke to the officers and said that he was going to let me call my mum to let her know that I was in labour. So that happened. And then my mum and my son's father come up and then... Yeah, that then I had my had my son with two officers standing outside the door when I actually went into the delivery suite and then they stayed with me until the next day. It was very uncomfortable. I was in like a cubicle with just a curtain around me. Obviously, I wanted to I didn't even attempt to breastfeed my son because I felt so uncomfortable. I had a male officer and a female officer. And then at t- one point I had two male officers. Um I literally, it was just the, it was the worst time of my life. It sounds utterly horrific. And I'm so sorry you had to, had to go through that. Naomi, it sort of is reminiscent, is it not, of those awful circumstances in Bronzefield and style in the sense that when Sam was talking about hitting her call bell and no one coming, of course, what happened in Bronzefield and style was that Tragically, it led to the death of two mothers' um, babies. Luckily, this didn't. But it doesn't seem to be isolated cases, does it? The sort of alarm bells being ignored, which is, of course, quite important when it comes to anybody, but when it comes to pregnant women. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously Sam's experience, you know, throughout her pregnancy and then through that really traumatic birth you know was completely unacceptable um and you know clearly very very difficult for her and while there have been some things that have changed there are some things as you've pointed out which you know are still a problem you referred to um you know two cases one in Bronzefield in 2019 and one in style in 2020 where women really sadly and tragically lost their babies and earlier this year uh, the prison and probations ombudsman published um the second report um which you know showed as with the first that you know, uh, there were a catalogue of, uh, you know, errors and poor practice, um, including, as you say, failing to respond to women's to women's calls for help and have led to the ombudsman sort of suggesting that all pregnancies in prison should be treated as, as, as high risk. She suggested a whole raft of improvements. And to be fair, um, you know, we've been campaigning on this issue um, for a long time now. We published our birth charter in 2016, which set out recommendations for, you know, a really comprehensive shift uh, in in how we conceptualise and deliver care um, for pregnant women and new mums and other women indeed, um, you know, with sort of other reproductive outcomes, uh, pregnancy outcomes. And, and, you know, how do we get to the place where the care that they're offered is better, you know, than what we've been hearing about? Last year, uh, we had the publication of uh, a new framework from the Prison and Probation Service, which actually is very, very comprehensive. For the first time, there is a comprehensive set of mandatory regulations and further guidelines which really do shift 
um, what is supposed to be offered to that group of women and babies in prison. So that is, you know, is a huge success, I think, and driven, you know, I hope by our work, but also these these tragic incidents, which I think obviously really shocked a lot of people. So prisons have introduced things like um, specialist um, pregnancy mother and baby officers. Uh, so there are now these officers across across the country in, in, in women's prisons, which is great. Uh, NHS England have also invested quite a lot in perinatal mental health uh, delivery. So, you know, things have changed, luckily, um, since when Sam, you know, went through her experience. Obviously, we want to see that kind of, you know, we, we're continuing to keep up the pressure on, um, you know, how that is delivered and monitored and how, you know, ha- how accountability happens um, within this system. Yeah. Because I think we all know, don't we, that, um, you know, having policy and regulations on paper is one thing. It's how it's delivered in practice. One question was, you said that you were on remand. So I think it's key, isn't it, to point out that that means you hadn't been sentenced. And this comes back again into a lot of uh, the work that a lot of people do in this area around the appropriateness of remanding a pregnant woman into custody. Can I ask you sort of what happened around your sentencing and, and on that, Samantha? Yeah, I was remanded. It was my first offence and it was a non-violent crime. So I was remanded, had my son, and then I did go for sentencing. I was found guilty and I was sentenced to three and a half years. You would have had to have served um, half of that in yeah. prison. Yeah, so the the judge had allowed me to have three and a half years so that I would then be entitled to an electronic curfew as well. So when I was on the mother and baby unit, I wouldn't actually have to be separated from my son so I could keep him with me because you can only keep them up until 18 months. So I was very lucky in the aspect of that I got to keep my son with me. But also, as you can imagine, like in a situation like that, it's a bit of a catch-22. Like, you're like, do I keep him with me and keep him in prison or do I send him home? I think it's worth pointing out, isn't it, at at this point? I remember... um when I did my undergraduate in criminology, I actually wrote my dissertation on mother and baby units and women being separated from their babies. And so I spent quite a bit of time in mother and baby units and and have since then. Is it fair to say, do you think that actually mother and baby units are rather wonderful places in prisons? Is that the wrong way to describe them? I suppose I'm coming at it from my my point of view, which is very different. I've never been on one, I've just visited. And I see yeah. the toys and and they're colourful. And, you know, the officers, certainly the ones that I've been into, they don't wear prison officer uniform, do they? And you do get more help than you might on the outside, is that fair to say? That's not the experience I had. <laughs> Personally, I don't think putting pregnant women or babies inside a prison will ever be safe. And I don't think it should be happening. Um, you know, there's so many things what are put meant to be put in place, but don't get actually practiced. Like there's such a big gap between it. And the thing is, like, if even things like if you've got a medical emergency and you're inside a prison, like it's so difficult to get somebody out to hospital. I don't understand how you can ever justify that being safe. And even for the children, like I had an instance when my son had to go to hospital and it's like, you know, you have to go through someone else to call a doctor's and they're telling me to go to a doctor's appointment 
and I'm telling them my son's not well, he needs to go to the hospital. But, like, they just take all the control and power away from you as a mother. And I, I personally, you know, I mean, they're a blessing for some people, but I just don't think pregnant women or children should be behind bars. Yeah. And, and again, it comes back to this remand point, doesn't it? And and again, sort of sentencing women for nonviolent crimes, you know, uh, I guess what's going on in my head is why wasn't the community sentence available at the time, which I believe should be available for all nonviolent crimes, really? Yeah, I mean, I just like to, you know, I think Sam's articulated it absolutely brilliantly. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we're focusing not just on improving standards of care you know in custody but on the really important issue that you both raised which is sort of sentencing working upstream to stop women getting into custody in the first place um you know on the issue of remand yes of course women who you know haven't been found guilty of a crime shouldn't be there unless they absolutely have to there's loads of evidence to show that um you know bail arrangements really aren't working properly meaning that that women who don't need to be in prison are still sent to prison and then on the issue of mother and baby units as Sam says they can be helpful for some women you know with the level of care perhaps that's available that they wouldn't get elsewhere but that shouldn't be a reason why women shouldn't be able to get that care in the community and you know Edwina you'll know um, you know from from what your plans are in Hope Street that you know actually there is a, a better way there is an alternative way and that should be giving women and children the care they need in the community. Absolutely. I mean, just completely vital and just shouldn't be something that we even have to sort of debate about, should it? It should just be there. Going back to the sort of 18 month mark. So I remember this from my dissertation and there's two cutoff points, is there not? I mean, there certainly was 20 years ago. It was a while when I when I wrote that. Um, I seem to remember and correct me if I'm wrong, that if you're serving a shorter sentence, the child will be removed at 18 months. And if you're serving a longer sentence, the child is moved earlier at six months so that the mother has less time to bond with the child. That was the rationale 20 years ago. And I'm not sure where we are now on that. I think it depends from prison to prison. I mean, the cutoff point is still nominally 18 months. And there is uh, an option for women to apply for an extension um, in certain situations up to 24 months. I think what's really, really important to note, though, is that, you know, when you ask experts on attachment um, between mum and baby, there is no right time to separate a mother from her baby. What we should be focusing on is, you know, what we've been talking about, which is making sure that that only happens in the most, most, most exceptional circumstances rather than as a matter of course for, you know, perhaps half the women who... um, you know, who apply for a mother and baby unit place. If anyone's listening and and has had children, I think it's a quite a good exercise to think about giving your child up, as you say, Naomi, at any age. I mean, you know, the whole thing just fills me with sort of dread and anger and sort of horror, really. Um, but Samantha, do you mind me asking? So at 18 months, your baby was taken from you? I kept him with me the whole time. OK, you did manage to keep him. Yeah, I mean, I did have a separation from him because what had happened was I... So I'd had him and I went to mother and baby unit and I really wasn't coping. Like, my mental health I was a state. I was all over the place. So I applied for bail um, a week later and they did actually bail me. So I came home 
for I think it was three months before sentencing. So I came home and had the three months. I was on electronic curfew, came home for the three months with him. And then I had to then go back for sentencing and then start the process of reapplying for my from baby unit again. Because obviously I'd come out, so they had to like do the, I had to sit aboard and stuff again. So I, I had to leave him for five weeks. So, yeah, that wasn't nice. Well, I was going to say that even, you know, even a, even a, a, a separation of that length, I mean, you know, at the time, I'm sure Sam will have experienced it as, you know, really traumatic, how, however long you're separated from your child. But, you know, what's really important in this very, very critical uh, point when a baby is so young is that you're really disrupting the attachment relationship, you're disrupting uh, breastfeeding if, if, if a mum's breastfeeding. So, you know, even a, a, a sort of a, a separation of a matter of weeks, which then is followed by reunification, can have really profound impact on, you know, on that relationship, on the mother's mental health, um, on, the, on the outcomes of the child. Absolutely. And sort of goes right to the heart of intergenerational trauma, doesn't it? Because, you know, these babies then grow into children and grow up and you know even if they aren't old enough to articulate what might have happened to them as babies and children we do know don't we that these things matter an extraordinary amount even though I know this stuff you still kind of sit here don't you going it's 2022 why are we still having this conversation about it I sort of feel like you know it's Victorian times and we're sort of just doing a bit of time traveling so yeah. Samantha how how are you now um I mean I think you know it's something I'm gonna live with forever and I forever hold the guilt like you said like my son doesn't know he's not at age where I could sit and have a conversation with him and explain to him like things that have gone on I will have to have the conversation with him at some point when he's older which is a day I absolutely dread but, like, I think once you go through something like that and your ch- your child is born into circumstances like that and there's so much going on around you, like, you know, we're having a baby's meant to be the happiest time of your life and it was one of the worst for me. Like, and I will, I think, forever hold that guilt. And it does, you know, it plays with your mental health and it eats you up inside and that's, like, the long-term effects... It's like I did a prison sentence, but now, you know, it feels a bit like a life sentence because I'm going to always have to live with that. And what do you feel about had there been a place for you in the community? You know, they might have said, well, you can't be at home, you know, to, to do your sentence. I don't know about your home circumstances, but, you know, do you think you could have paid your dues in inverted commas to society because of course that's what politicians sort of and I think judges feel like they have to make sure that justice is done and all that sort of side of things do you feel that had there been something in the community for you you I think I know the answer to this question too but do you think that would have been more productive for you and 100% if I would have had the freedom to be a, a mother and like not you know it's it's things like be able to like make my son a doctor's appointment or you know feed my son something that I want to feed him and like you know 
be have the res- the proper responsibilities of being a mother and then you know have access him have ac- more access to his family and you know maybe if I can take him to the park and we're not sitting outside looking at a 15 foot wire fence you know and a wall and like another house block and stuff like that like the whole environment I just feel like I would have been a better mum and a happier mum and I feel like he would have been a better and a happier child. Exactly, because if you'd been tagged, electronically tagged, either to your home or to a place, as you say, Naomi, thank you, like Hope Street or um, any other residential women's centre, of course, there are some around the country, then that would have allowed you to, um, in the eyes of society, I guess, be punished, in inverted commas, Um, And sorry to use this language, but, you know, that's the sort of reality, isn't it? It's always the debate. Um, And you could have served your sentence in a way that was set out by the court, um, but it would have prevented your child from being punished too. That's my biggest thing. That's, I I got sentenced, but, you know, I, I did a crime. So, yeah, there should be repercussions. But on the other hand, you know, I was pregnant and my son didn't need to, shouldn't have been serving that sentence with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Naomi, tell me a little bit. Um, we've covered the sort of prison side of things, um, but your organisation also works in the community, doesn't it? Could you tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. So um, we started off very much focusing on, 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 on prisons Um, And over our 26 years, um, we've sort of gradually expanded out from that. I think it was a really good base because I think if you're used to providing support in that very, very harsh environment, I think it really shapes how you do that, the model of how you work. And we, um, you know, right from the outset, we worked in a a trauma-informed way before we even knew there was such a thing as trauma-informed care. So we realised, I think, very, very quickly that, um, you know, there were there were women uh, in the community um, in a range of different circumstances, but all facing multiple challenges in their lives. Not necessarily the criminal justice system, uh, you know, a, a wide range of other things. But when those challenges sort of come together, when you have multiple challenges, um, you know, it really creates a very, very difficult situation. And then when you when you add in pregnancy and, and birth and early motherhood into that, um, you can see how, you know, what, as Sam has alluded to, um, should be, you know, the happiest time of your life. We all know, actually, for, for most people, it's a it's also a very challenging time in your life. Um, if you add in all of those other multiple challenges, um, then you can see how women very, very uh, quickly can you know, experience that as um, very, very difficult. And so really what we've done is expanded our remit um, to include, you know, all women really who are experiencing multiple challenges in their lives um, during that period. We are focusing on on three systems, I guess, because we recognise that, um, you know, systemic issues and systemic change is kind of really what we're all about. Um, so criminal justice system, social services or children's social care and immigration are the three sort of systems in which we um, we find the women that come to us um, are, you know, experiencing, located within, often they overlap. And then, of course, there's that um, universal system, maternity services, which we um, we work with as well, because really 100 percent of the women also come in contact with that with that system. 
Okay. And then on the um, immigration side of it, do you work in the immigration removal centres or is it sort of less the sort of custody side? It's less that side of things. Thankfully, legislation was passed a few years ago to um, prevent pregnant women from being held in those uh, detention centres. Really, occasionally women do end up there, but they're, they're not supposed to be held there. So so that is not a thing anymore, um, or not a widespread thing anymore, thank goodness. So we work um, with women in the community but obviously, you know, recent arrivals are held in, uh, you know, government accommodation um, and that can be really, really challenging environment to uh, to be pregnant and, and a new mum in. So I guess having people like Samantha who have been through these things working in your organisation is um, is really, really important. Samantha, can you explain a little bit more about exactly what it is you get involved in in Birth Companions and, and the kind of support that you, you give? Well, I will say yes to any work they put my way. I will take part in absolutely anything. <laughs> I, we have done so much stuff from NHS Health and Justice meetings, um, the Nuffield Trust Review. Uh, we've taken part in the recent... Um, no birth behind bars campaign with level up women in prison and birth companions I've been to the Ministry of Justice we've just done so much stuff and it's like I find it so rewarding that I'm able to sit there with my lived experience change my negative into something positive and you know when they're talking about putting these practices in place I'm able to pick the spots where you know you can say that might happen, but actually, you know, in hindsight, that's not that's not what happens or, you know, that's already been put in place, but that doesn't actually happen inside the prison. I think when you sit in meetings with, you know, NHS commissioners that have never been locked behind a door in their life and you're able to say to them, you know, although that might sound like a good idea, maybe you might be able to do this and you can actually work with people to try and make a better change... I just think that's that that's the way things should be. You can't put things in place without talking to people that have actually been inside there. Absolutely. And do you find people are receptive? Are they listening? Um, Naomi touched on some of the sort of things that have happened. And, you know, people should be applauded for having taken some action. And we're hopefully moving in a better direction. But do you feel that we're far enough down the line? Because it's one thing saying, oh, we're doing we're doing better. Well, I'd argue that we should have been there 20 years ago, but it's fine. You know, we are where we are today. But do you think people are properly listening about making some substantial changes? You know, the campaign for not putting pregnant women behind bars is still ongoing. I mean, you know, in an ideal world, they would say tomorrow, you know, pregnant women shouldn't be behind bars and they should instead look at community-based sentences. And I would hope that, you know that is going to happen sometime in the near future. But I think for now, like the work that I mainly do with birth companions on trying to make some changes, I think things are happening slowly. But, you know, again, on the point, you can make changes, but you're still putting a pregnant woman and a child behind a locked door inside a prison. So, you know, that's never going to be all right. That's never going to be safe. Whatever changes you make. Absolutely. So, Naomi, what are the priorities um, for you at the minute? I only laugh because I know with a 
small charitable organization you sort of pack a big punch and there's always 10,000 priorities but what would you say is at the sort of sharp end of your work currently? Well we are maintaining our sort of focus on criminal justice um, but really developing the work that we're doing um, focusing on social services um, and children's, so- children's social services and the family justice system. I mean, we've been working in, in this in this area for, for many years. We've supported many women through separation. We've supported many more women who have um, children's social services involvement to some degree. We know, you know, the, 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 the pressure and the scrutiny that this places on women. And what we've observed is that, um, particularly during pregnancy, the provision uh, for providing support to families to make the changes perhaps that they need to make in order to end up parenting their children sometimes are not there to the degree that they should be or at all both in custody and in in the community so we're really interested in looking at um, that whole period and working out kind of what needs to be done at different levels you know so you know what needs to be done for women on the ground um, you know when they're meeting their midwives when they're having contact with social workers, um, you know, how can we improve that experience for them? And then a bit like, um, you know, the focus that we've, we've brought to bear on the, on the criminal justice system, you know, what are the overarching kind of policies that are in place or not in place to ensure that actually there's some degree of joined up thinking, a national approach and um, accountability, uh, you know, for what happens. So what we're actually doing is we're, um, we're creating a, a birth charter too, um, you know, the first one was 10 years in the making. So we're hoping that this second one will be um, a little bit quicker. But it's 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 using a similar sort of approach for children's social services and for those women who are who are, who are going through that um, that experience with the social services involvement. OK, and they're not necessarily justice involved women. Is that right? No, they're not at all. I mean, we have done a lot of work looking at the crossover between criminal justice um, and and family justice. And clearly, it's a really, really important area. So that will certainly be, you know, a really important part of that work. But no, it's it's much more widespread than that. Well, Samantha, I hope... How old is your son, actually, at the moment? Six now. He's six. Well, I hope when you come to have that conversation one day with him that instead of dreading it, you actually, you know, you're able to tell him about all the amazing work that you've, you've been doing since. Um, And, you know, and I sort of believe some people say, well, do the crime, do the time, which I think is very short sighted. But, you know, at the end of the day, the system did that. And the system and politicians do have a choice, don't they? That's why I'm doing the work, you know, I just, I don't wish anyone to have to go through what we had to go through. I think he'll be very proud of you. So don't dread it too much. And Naomi, thank you so much for talking to me too. It's been fascinating hearing more about birth companions. And and I hope this podcast goes a little way to sort of highlighting, uh, you know, some of the challenges and difficulties and also sort of helps the work that's so important that you that you all do. So thank you. And if people want to hear more, there'll be notes in the footnotes um, of the podcast. And Samantha, again, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. 
Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.